Welcome to this month's edition of Mideast Junction with me, Anne-Marie Basada. On June 5th, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, the United Arab Emirates, Egypt and others announced they were cutting ties with a small Gulf state of Qatar. This is the first time such action has been taken since the Gulf Cooperation Council, or the GCC, was created in 1981. Each day there are new developments as the leaders of the PAC, Saudi, the UAE and Egypt unveil new measures to block Qatar, stopping its access to their airspace, shutting down its ground border with Saudi and kicking out Qatari nationals. In essence, it's a tactic familiar to kids on the playground. The you're with us or against us mentality as the lead bully hurriedly tries to increase its number of supporters. The two main reasons for the cut in ties were said to be Qatar's growing relationship with Iran and its harboring and support of the Muslim Brotherhood group. According to David Hurst, the editor-in-chief of the Middle East Eye, this is really a play between three regional blocs vying for power. Block 1 is Iran and its state actors of Iraq and Syria, and non-state actors of the Shia Houthis in Yemen, Hezbollah in Lebanon, and the Iraqi Shia militias. Block 2 is what he calls the old regime, made up of the absolute monarchs and military dictatorships that stand to lose from any government changes resulting from the Arab Spring of 2011. This includes Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, the UAE, Egypt and Jordan. On the third block is Turkey and Qatar, working in conjunction with the Muslim Brotherhood who momentarily took advantage of the Arab Spring. But why the dispute now? Hearst believes that this attack was premeditated and in fact follows on from unfinished business in 2013 when then-Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi of the Muslim Brotherhood was ousted and the organization was banned and driven out of the country. Eric Trager from the Washington Institute for Near East Policy and author of Arab Fall, How the Muslim Brotherhood Won and Lost Egypt in 891 Days, further explains. While it's true, of course, that Many of those who have fled Egypt since the overthrow of Muslim Brotherhood leader Mohamed Morsi in 2013 ended up, at least for a brief time, in Qatar. Many more ended up in Turkey. And, of course, Istanbul is where Muslim brothers and their fellow travelers have established roughly five satellite television networks, which are very active in promoting the Muslim Brotherhood's message Uh, really across the region and as well online. Essentially, the rise of the Brotherhood in Egypt showed other governments what could happen in their country. But is this fear justified? This is not an unfounded fear at all. The Muslim Brotherhood poses a significant threat to some of these governments. The Muslim Brotherhood's entire ideology is about replacing existing governments on the assumption that the empowerment of the Muslim Brotherhood is the same as the empowerment of Islam itself. The Brotherhood equates its organization and its empowerment with the victory of the religion more broadly. Trager details the root of the sphere. In the aftermath of the Arab Spring, these governments are, first of all, very concerned about further upheaval. And secondly, many within their population. It's very hard to give specific numbers on this just because polling is pretty unreliable. But many people across the region, seeing how the quote-unquote Arab Spring turned out, are also very wary of groups like the Muslim Brotherhood because they fear chaos 
more than they fear their current government. Let's not forget that this declaration came just after U.S. President Donald Trump's visit to Saudi Arabia in May, just after Riyadh was able to secure the partnership of Washington. Hearst also expands on the brotherhood impetus for the move. The real reason for this move is that one bloc, I think, in this conflict saw a chance to basically finish off an old job, the job that was started when Morsi was ousted. They saw Trump as an opportunity to basically finish off the political opposition and the Islamist political opposition, which they call terrorist, but is actually political, and to do it now. Now, the second reason cited by Saudi Arabia was Qatar's growing closeness to Iran. A hack on the Qatari news agency led to the breaking of ties, alleging that the Qatari emir had congratulated the Iranian president on his election, a move deemed too close for comfort by the other GCC countries. But apart from this, which Qatar called fake news, the other GCC countries also have relations with Tehran. As Mahana Bedin, a writer on Iranian affairs, explains. The, the GCC is, is not a cohesive bloc. Even before this spat with Qatar, uh, this very open spat, there are many disagreements amongst them over many issues. Iran is obviously one of them, but they have this between one another. They have territorial disputes between one another. And in, any case, in respect of Iran, they've long been divided because Oman, for instance, has very close ties to Iran, much closer than Qatar because Iran and Oman have very stable and strong relationships stretching back to 45 years when the former Shah of Iran intervened in the Dofar crisis in the mid-1970s. In fact, I would go as far as saying that Oman is in some kind of a silent partnership with Iran. And then Kuwait has strong ties to Iran. Even the UAE, although it has territorial disputes with Iran, centered on three islands in the Persian Gulf, the Greater and Lesser Tombs and Abu Musa. But despite that territorial dispute, there's a lot of activity going on, a lot of trade, for instance. There are nearly half a million Iranians living in the Emirates, particularly in Dubai. I think there's only really two countries that, that Iran is having very difficult relationship with. One is obviously Saudi, the other is Bahrain, for obvious reasons. The rest of them, they're all divided. They all have their own specific attitude and policies toward Iran. In fact, the latest major development in this crisis was in late June, when Saudi Arabia and its allies handed over a list of 13 demands that Qatar had to fulfill within 10 days to end the siege. Needless to say, Doha refused, as Abedin explains. I think in the first instance, these are clearly a step toward escalation because these demands which are issued, they cannot be met. They're asking Qatar to close down Al Jazeera. Basically, they're asking Qatar to shut itself down. and It's not really feasible. The small emirate has developed an international reputation through Al Jazeera. Its news channel, which criticizes regional governments and gives a window onto those countries for the rest of the world. The only caveat, of course, is that Qatar is off-limits for criticism. Trager explains that Al Jazeera is vilified by the others because they believe it promotes the Brotherhood's political message, something which inspires fear in these regional states. But another reason for the insistence on shutting down Al Jazeera is how much it has opened up Qatar to the world. It has shown that Doha can be an innovator in the region, which Abedin says is exactly the problem. I think what this is highlighted is how closed-minded these countries are, Saudi, the Emiratis and the Egyptians. They have no vision for the region apart from shutting down voices, you know, of crushing dissent. They cannot uh, tolerate any, any vision apart from their own. And I think this issue really highlights that. I mean, they want to shut Qatar down mainly because Qatar has its vision 
a different vision for the region, and they cannot tolerate that. For now, the crisis continues. Qatar, one of the richest countries in the world, has been able to cope with the blockades imposed by Saudi and the others. But the diplomatic situation is starting to have an effect outside the region, as Ahmed Solomon, a specialist in the Horn of Africa at Chatham House, explains. One of the things that we've seen in terms of effects on the Horn of Africa region has been a direct impact on a border dispute between Djibouti and Eritrea. We've had Qatari mediation of that border dispute since 2010, which has included the presence of peacekeeping troops on that border, and also the partial kind of successful reduction of tensions between the two countries and partial resolution with Eritrea releasing four Djiboutian prisoners in March last year. But as soon as the Qataris withdrew their troops, which they did a few weeks ago, and I think the reasons for those are in part due to Djibouti's downgrading of relations with Qatar, possibly also the existence of both Saudi and UAE deployment in Djibouti and in Eritrea at the base of Assad. They will clearly have had an impact on Qatar's decision to stop the mediation and remove its troops. So you're already seeing a direct impact of the GCC crisis on the Horn of Africa and on regional stability in the Horn. As the trickle-down effects start to take hold outside of the region, Qatar has reaffirmed its willingness to find a resolution. Speaking in Washington, D.C. earlier this week, Qatari Foreign Minister Mohammed Al-Thani had this to say. The state of Qatar has been committed to bringing an end to the current crisis from its very inception. We have stated consistently and unequivocally that Qatar is willing to sit down with our neighbors to discuss all issues pertaining to regional security and stability. So long as these demands do not infringe upon our independence and national sovereignty. We are willing to negotiate any legitimate grievances with our neighbors, but we will not compromise our national sovereignty. Secretary Tillerson himself acknowledged that the demands issued by the blockading countries will be very difficult to meet. And the German Foreign Minister Sigmar Gabriel stated that the demands were very provocative. For the time being, it doesn't appear the crisis will wind down anytime soon. On June 30th, the United Nations human rights chief said the demand for Qatar to shut down Al Jazeera is an unacceptable attack on the right to freedoms of expression and opinion. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for tuning in. I'll be back with you next month for another edition of Mideast Junction.